So, when does the terrorist group stop being a terrorist group? Hi, this is Phil Gursky, President and CEO of Borealis Threat and Risk Consulting in Russell, Canada, and you're listening to Quick Hits. <laughs> if you've been following me over the past couple of weeks, uh, in addition to following what's been happening in Canada with respect to an, a, an instrument called terrorist listings, or terrorist entity listings, you will know that I have talked a little bit about this notion that Canada, the government of Canada, has uh, voted overwhelmingly in Parliament to list the Proud Boys, a white supremacist slash white nationalist slash right-wing extremist group, uh, as a terrorist group in the wake of the attack on the U.S. Capitol on January the 6th. And I don't want to repeat the arguments that I made a few podcasts ago about how I feel that listings, this process whereby the government of the day decides to actually create a roster of terrorist groups, is largely a political exercise. You can listen to the other podcasts to get a sense as to why I thought that. I don't want to flog a dead horse. But I do want to bring up another case of a listing in Canada that clearly became a political thing down the road. And the group I want to talk about is an Iranian group called the Mujahideen Khalq, or the MEK, also known as the Mujahideen Khalq Organization, the MKO, or in its English translation, the People's Mujahideen of Iran. I'm going to call it the MAK because that's what we used to call it at CSIS, the Canadian Security Intelligence Service, where I did counterterrorism for 15 years. The MAK is, is, is an odd beast in that it predates the Iranian Revolution of 1979. And they're a, a Marxist-leaning group. I'll get, get to some of their odd uh, parts in a second. They were one of the opponents of the Shah, Shah Reza Pahlavi, whom, of course, was overthrown in February of 1979 which led to the rise of power of the Ayatollahs, Ayatollah Khomeini, and the Islamists that now run Iran to this day, 42 years later. And actually, it's pretty well the, the 42nd anniversary of the Iranian revolutions, what they call the, the 10 days of dawn in uh, February and January, February of 1979. So the MEK didn't really like the Shah, and they didn't like the Ayatollahs that took, took over as well. And, and they engaged in a terrorism campaign throughout uh, much of the 1980s, they carried out some catastrophic acts of terrorism in Tehran, uh, killing hundreds of people of the Iranian government, and so became public enemy number one. Now, they decamped over to Iraq, where they basically got the protection of Saddam Hussein, because Saddam Hussein hated the Iranians as well. In fact, he hated them so much, he launched a war in September of 1980, which led to this what's called the Iran-Iraq War, which lasted the better part of a decade, led to the deaths of hundreds of thousands, uh, led to, to waves of suicide children uh, going over minefields. It led to the use of chemical weapons and scud missiles by the Iraqis on Iranian cities. Real nasty bit of business. And so Saddam uh, basically saw the MEK as, you know, the enemy of my enemy, and therefore he's basically my friend. And he gave them succor. He gave them a camp, a camp called Camp Ashraf, where they basically... Uh, planned acts of terrorism against Iran for, for many, many years. Now, now, the MEK, as I alluded to, is a, is a real strange beast. Basically, it's it's run by a couple called uh, Masood and Maryam Rajavi, and uh, pretty fair to label them a cult. Uh, members of the group pledge allegiance to the couple, 
they uh, the sexes are separated, so so husbands and wives are not allowed to sleep together, and uh, the members must confess their sins to the leadership on a regular basis. It sounds very very cultish, kind of like the you know uh, Jamestown, uh, remember that uh, Jonestown rather in Guyana in the late nineteen seventies. Remember that massacre? So a really odd group of people. And because the Mujahideen Khalq, uh, the MEK, was indeed a terrorist group, it was listed in Canada as early, if, I'm, if memory serves me correct, uh, as, night, as rather 2002. So you've heard me say before, the terrorist listings process began after 9-11 when the Canadian government, as did the U.S. government, I believe the United Nations, European Union, the United Kingdom, etc., came up with these lists of terrorist groups, terrorist entities, they called them. And there's documentation to show why they're terrorist groups and why it's illegal to support them and finance them, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So the MEK was part of that original listing. And then miraculously, just before Christmas in 2012, the then conservative government in Canada under Stephen Harper decided uh, overnight to delist them, i.e. take them off the list. Now, one would assume that the decision to remove a terrorist group from a terrorist group listing was because the group was no longer a terrorist group. And yet there's nothing that I've ever seen to suggest that the MEK is, has changed its ways. It is much a terrorist group today as it was back in 2002 or 1981 for that matter, when they carried out their largest attack on the Iranian parliament. Hundreds were killed. Now, the MEK was never the A-team. Uh, they were just really a bunch of wankers for the most part. It was a pain in the ass to have to investigate them, to be perfectly honest. We kept trying to find excuses not to investigate them because they really were a waste of our time. And they do something stupid every four or five years, uh, like assault the Iranian embassy in, in Ottawa in the early 90s, in which they injured several people. This is all in my book, by the way, The, uh, the Peaceable Kingdom. And yet the Harper government... Stephen Harper, Prime Minister, decided to delist them. Now, the excuse given at the time was that they were no longer engaged in terrorist activity. I would push back against that. I think the real reason was that the United, the United States and the European Union also delisted them in the month of December 2012. So Canada was just doing what Canada does a lot of times, and that's follow its allies. Canada is often a follower in this regard. They are not a leader. Besides, if not being an active terrorist organization was enough to delist that group from the official list, which is maintained by Public Safety Canada, then what in God's name is Aung San Rikyo? Yeah, this is the Japanese Buddhist bunch, you remember, who let off sarin gas in the Tokyo subway in 95, 96, around there, killing a dozen people and wounding over a thousand. What in God's name has Aung San Rikyo done for the past 25 years? How about Dick? How about Squat? They haven't done a damn thing. And yet, to the best of my knowledge, Aum Shonrikyo is still listed as a terrorist entity in Canada and in several other jurisdictions. Which means that the proffered reason for delisting the MEK was purely political. It had nothing to do with terrorism. It had nothing to do with Canadian counterterrorism priorities. It was a political decision made by the government of the day to follow its allies' lead. And they probably said, well, you know what? Yeah, the ABK may be a terrorist group, but the Iranians are a much bigger terrorist threat. Now, they sponsor Hezbollah, and they sponsor Hamas, and they you know, run camps in Iraq, and they're involved in Yemen, and they're involved in the Gulf, and blah, 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 blah. So, yeah, they may be terrorists, but 
the people they're fighting against are a much bigger problem for us. So we're going to delist them as a favor. Does that strike you as a rational, reasonable process to justify the listing or delisting of terrorist groups? Because it sure as hell doesn't to me. What it points to is yet again that this whole notion of a listing of, of civil servants deciding who goes on the list and who doesn't has very little to do with our stated mission to counter terrorism. It has much more to do with the soup du jour, what the what the ongoing or prevalent thinking is amongst government on a given day of the week. As I said before, and I'll say it one more time, terrorist listings are not needed to do counterterrorism. We do very well, thank you very much, in our own investigations by gathering intelligence and prosecuting people based on what we know, not on what the government tells us to do on a daily basis by listing Group A and not listing Group B. Besides, Counterterrorism investigations have gone on in Canada since 1865, as you will see in my latest book, The Peaceable Kingdom. And I do have a whole part of a chapter on the MEK and their delisting process. The list only came in in 2002. We were doing counterterrorism for a century and a half before the list came out. Ergo, the lists aren't necessary. And if it disappeared tomorrow, I don't think the people at CSIS or the RCMP, Royal Canadian Mounted Police, or their domestic and international partners would shed a tear. It's time to get rid of the listing process. I don't care what the MP said about the Proud Boys or what they're going to say tomorrow about the Oath Keepers or the Three Percenters or the Meurthe in Quebec or the Soldiers of Odin or whatever the hell they're calling themselves these days. It's an idea that was never a good one in the first place and certainly has outlived its usefulness. So if anyone's listening in the Canadian government, it's time to delist the list in its entirety. Anyhow, that's what I think. Before I leave you, of course, it is time for the Hardy Boys bit of wisdom. And this one comes from the mystery of the spiral bridge. Always keep duplicates of important files in a separate location in case someone breaks into your office and makes off with them. If you're working for CSIS or the RCMP and someone breaks in and steals your files, you got a lot bigger problem than making duplicates. I can tell you that. So I'm not sure that's the greatest advice from the Hardy Boys. By the way, just as an announcement, this podcast, I'm recognizing the London Knights hockey team. I'm from London, Ontario. I've been a London Knights fan since I was a child. They're part of the Ontario Hockey League. It's kind of the feeder system for the National Hockey League. They weren't much of a team when I was growing up, but they have become a powerhouse now in Canadian junior hockey. What do you think? Is the listings process worth the paper it's written on? Does it serve any kind of purpose at all? Let me know. You can reach me on email borealisrisk at gmail.com or on Twitter at borealisaves. You can also find me on LinkedIn and on Facebook. If you like this content want to get more automatically to your inbox every day, simply go to my website, borealisthreatrisk.com, hit the subscribe button, provide your email address, you'll get a free daily digest, all the blogs, all the podcasts, all the material free of charge to your inbox. And you'll get advanced postings like the Marvel series, the links between Marvel comics, Marvel movies, and terrorism. I also want to point out there's a link on the website for my new book, the one I just showed you, The Peaceable Kingdom, where you can reserve your copy and I'll send it to you in the mail. I'd love to hear from you. Your feedback is always very important to me. I'll talk to you again very soon. Until then, stay safe.